Come, Holy Spirit, and kindle in us the fire of your love. Open the eyes of our hearts and see through them. Open our lips and speak through them. Set our souls on fire. Did I scare you? Good. All right. What a beautiful day. What a beautiful day. Right? It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Won't you be mine? Yeah, I have the 8 o'clock group. They definitely don't watch any movies. Anybody seen the Mr. Rogers movie? I don't know. I know Mr. Rogers is good. Yeah. Um, yeah, Mr. Rogers, right? Trying to teach us how to love our neighbor and be good neighbors and all that. We, we know that Mr. Rogers was a, was a minister, right? right? He's just doing it another way, talking to kids, kind of preaching the good news, the gospel, talking about the heart of God. The heart of God, right? That's what our reading <coughs> are, are trying to show us something about the heart of God and what God desires from us as God's children. Heart of God. Now, that first reading right, from Hosea, um, that is not marriage counseling. <laughs> a couple comes to me, you know, talking about getting married. Like, no, go get yourself a hooker. <laughs> yeah, whoa, 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 whoa. Right? Um, now, I know some, sometimes, right, the church has kind of got hung up on this. Hosea, by the way, the greatest prophet of the 8th century. The only prophet of the 8th century that we have any existing writings for. And has this message from God, God coming to Hosea and asking Hosea to do something that seems to be really bad marriage advice. Right? Go out and get somebody who's going to be unfaithful, and you remain faithful to that person. Go, really? Who's ready to sign up for that? <laughs> okay? Not the kind of thing we normally think of, right? But what we have is Hosea is trying to show us something in his life about the relationship between God and us. And in that, trying to reveal something about God's love and God's faithfulness. God's love and God's faithfulness. Um, when I was in seminary, we had these conversations, these arguments about, you know, does God have emotions? Does God have feelings? Is God, like Aristotle said, the unmoved mover? Is God impassable? Did God suffer on the cross? Does God have feelings? Can we make God happy? Can we make God sad? Right? Those are the kinds of theological arguments we have. And I, and I think when, when, when you look at the readings of the Old Testament, it seems pretty clear that God has feelings. That God has feelings. That we can do things to break God's heart, but yet God's character stays the same. God loves us. God is faithful to us. God pursues us in spite of our running away. And God's always faithful. Hosea is told by God to go and marry Gomer. Now, I know sometimes we look at this and go, well, why couldn't it be that, you know, it was a woman who was the faithful one and the guy was the one who was the, the cheater, right? But that's really not the point, so don't get, don't get hung up on that. Don't get hung up on that. Because it's really about the relationship between God and God's people. Remember the story of the Dead Sea? I mean, the Red Sea, right? The, clock, the crossing of the Red Sea, right? That story of, of Exodus. Okay? And, and we're told as a reminder, you know, that, that God's people were suffering in, in Egypt and, and Moses is sent to bring them out. And, and they end up at this place where it seems that they're kind of in a really bad place. Um, the, the Egyptian army is bearing down on them and 
and, and there's a sea between, you know, them, right, and, and the army, and, and, and where are they going to go? And they're like, oh gosh, we're going to die out here in the wilderness. And, you know, these, these are God's people. God loves these, these Israelites, and we know that, right? That's what the story tells us. It's written from their perspective, is it not? Right? And so we hear about, you know, how God comes in and tells Moses, okay, I know it looks bad here, but remember, I, I love you. Trust me. I love you. And I'm faithful. And so Moses, take that staff of yours and, and hold it up and, and divide the seas. And, and watch this, right? It's like, you know, God says, hey, watch, hold my beer. Hey, watch this. <laughs> right? and, and they divide the Red Sea and, and, and tells the Israelite, you know, children of Israel to, to go through that, right? And they, and they get to the other side. And, and if you read the story, it says, you know, they get to the other side and they're, they're rejoicing. Right? Yeah. God's on our side. Great. Right? And then he, then he tells Moses to do something that you think about it and you go, wow, that's kind of terrible. It's kind of terrible. He tells them, well, now make the sea collapse, right? While the Egyptian army is, is in the middle. <laughs> Somebody's husband. Some child now is going to be childless because he drowns the Egyptian army in the sea. You catch that part of the story? You catch that part? See, I think part of that is that, you know, sometimes when we, when we go astray, sometimes we're not following... God's will, we can find ourselves like the Egyptian army, engaged in things that are not God's will, and we can find ourselves under the water and, and drowning. Right? Sometimes we do that to ourselves. Sometimes other people direct us to do things we know that are not the will of God. We follow along. Right? We do things we're not supposed to. Either because we did it to ourselves or somebody told us to follow the crowd and we get in these places where now the sea is over the top of us and, 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 and how does God feel about that? Because people die when they do stupid things. People die when they follow the wrong leaders. People get harmed when things like that happen. So on the other side, right, it's the Israelites rejoicing and and, you know, they're singing these songs about he drowned horse and rider in the sea, right? It's this, this canticle we have in the church kind of rejoicing the drowning of the, of the, of the Egyptian army. And, and we stop and we think that's somebody's son. That's somebody's husband. Somebody's brother. Some child's father is now dead. And the Israelites are rejoicing. And I think about, well, what's the heart of God in that? What's the heart of God? The story about, you know, the, the rejoicing that was going on in heaven, because the angels were having a big victory celebration. Yes, the Lord, our God, has delivered the Israelite people. It's wonderful. And they're all dancing and singing and rejoicing, all the angels of heaven. And then one of them stops and, and notices that there's somebody missing in all this. One of the angels notices somebody's missing. God's missing. God's not at the celebration. And so that angel goes to the archangel Michael. Michael, right, the chief of, you know, God's army, army of angels, and, and goes to the angels, the archangel Michael, and, and says, um, I notice that God's missing. Shouldn't God be part of the celebration? Well, yeah, God, God's not here. Well, where is God? Well, he's, he's, he's left the party, and he's weeping, because today thousands of his children die. See, God cares about them too. Because that is the God we know and love. The one who loves all of us. Even those of us who are going down the wrong path. Even those of us 
who are contributing to our own destruction. Even those of us who are doing things, who are pursuing other people in his name, thinking we're doing the right thing and we're harming people. God loves us. And God loved all those Egyptians who died. It broke God's heart that we do those kinds of things. Is that heavy? It's true. It's true. See, when um, when when when, when Hosea goes and, and gets this person who is going to be unfaithful, it's really God expressing through Hosea's life how God feels. The Israelite people, the people of God, Christians, you, me, and everyone else, in various ways are unfaithful. In various ways are unfaithful. Rather than God is our God, we make our military power our God. We pray and worship to the God of the stock market. We worship our investment portfolio. We invest our trust and our faith in power and strength. And we act in ways that are not God's ways. And it breaks God's heart. We bear through our unfaithfulness children of unfaithfulness. That's what these children represent. The fruit of activities that are not of God. But notice that all those times that this wife in this story, this wife of Hosea, is unfaithful, he does not leave her. He doesn't leave her. Because he is the representation of God. God was faithful to us, even though we are not faithful in return. It's a story of a man. Um, we'll call him Bill. His name might be Sandy or Keith or Dick or Paul or Pat or Dave. Could be any of us. Or maybe you want to turn around, make it a little bit more unusual and, 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 and give this person a woman's name. But since I'm telling the story today, his name is Bill. Bill loves to party. Oh, yeah. And, you know, not really intending to, but oftentimes he found himself kind of going out with his friends and staying out too late. You know, it's like laced potato chips. You can't eat just one. <laughs> Drinking. One beer leads to another. Then you might as well have some scotch and finish it off with another keg of beer. You know, he, he really, you know, really got into those things and, and oftentimes would, would just drink way too much and... Wouldn't come home until late and real trouble for his family. He came in one night and, and didn't even remember when he came home. Right? That that dropped. As my mom would say, three sheets to the wind, walking across the lawn like you're stepping in holes. <laughs> I think she's seen a thing or two. <laughs> he didn't remember coming home, but he remembered waking up. <laughs> Yeah, eventually that eye cracks open. Oh, <laughs> you know, you can still taste the scotch or whatever it was. The room is spinning. Hold on, you're gonna fall off the planet. Yeah, you ever been there? No. <laughs> oh, you wonderful saints of the church, you inspire me to believe this. Yeah. Yeah, he had one of those nights. Had one of those nights. 
And he woke up and the eye cracks open and he goes, oh, no, I feel really, really bad. Then you start thinking about, oh my gosh, how much trouble am I in now? I'm going to be in the doghouse for a month. And as he kind of cracks the other eye open, he kind of notices that, boy, the bedroom sure is nice today. All the clothes have been picked up off the floor. Everything's put away. It looks like somebody vacuumed the floor. And then he notices on the nightstand as he kind of becomes more conscious of what's around there, there's a glass of water and a couple aspirin. And a note. And he kind of clears his eyes and he looks at the note as he kind of sits up in bed and things are spinning. He looks at the note and it says, Breakfast is waiting for you in the kitchen. I love you. Something's really wrong here. <laughs> Even somebody else's house. <laughs> Something is really wrong here, he thinks. So he gets up and he goes into the kitchen and, and uh, mm -hmm. His wife had gone out for, for shopping and had left him breakfast. And his, his son, his, his teenage son, is sitting there and, and uh, he's kind of like wondering what's going on. He goes, uh, Son, where, where's your mom? Uh, well, she's gone out shopping. She made breakfast. Wow. Um, I, I really don't remember last night. I don't remember last night. Oh, Dad, you were, you were bad. You came home around 3 o'clock in the morning, and you were so drunk, you were delirious. You didn't know who you were or where you were. Oh, my. That sounds bad. Oh, it was really bad. You threw up in the hallway. On yourself, on the wall, floor, everything, right? It was, it was a mess. Your vomit machine was kind of spinning around. It's like that movie, you know, The Exorcist. It was terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> Well, it gets worse then. <laughs> it gets worse. Then you stumbled into the living room because you're just kind of staggering, bouncing off things. And you tripped over the chair and hit the coffee table. That's how you got the black eye. <laughs> you haven't seen yourself, have you? <laughs> yeah, you got a black eye. You tripped over the chair. You broke the chair. You broke the table. And then mom went over. You and your drunken steak with vomit on you. She got on the floor and picked you up and, and, and helped you to bed. And as she was trying to get you in bed, you know, she started trying to get you in your pajamas and she started to, like, undo your pants and, and you said, stop, lady, I'm married. <laughs> yeah, that's good when you say the right thing, isn't it? Means an awful lot. Faithfulness. God is seeking faithfulness from us, but knowing, like the people of Israel, that we wander off and we wander away and we practice various forms of idolatry and it breaks God's heart. Because it takes us away from the one who truly loves us and the one who wishes us the best and wants to bless us. And we want to have it our own. Jesus, when his disciples come to him and say, teach us how to pray, tries to show us that love and faithfulness of the God he knows is Father. 
See, he says, teach us to pray because John's disciples taught him, taught them how to pray. Teach us like, like John's disciples. Remember John the Baptist? You want to invite him over to a nice, friendly party at your house? You brood of vipers. Right? It's hellfire, brimstone, judgment, and condemnation. That is John the Baptist. Probably a member of an Essene community where they engaged in all kinds of ritual acts, purification, mea culpas, woe is me, groveling. And then you can approach an all-holy God. And they're probably asking Jesus, Jesus, what are the things that we have to do that are like the disciples of John that they do to make ourselves right with God? And he says, when you talk to God, simply say, hey, Dad. Abba. Abba. Well, wait a second. You mean I don't have to do all this other kind of purification stuff first? When you speak to your father, your father, our father. My father is your father. When you speak to him, know he's your father. The one who loves you. The one who is faithful to us. The one who is like that father described in the story of the prodigal son. That's your father. No matter what you've done to yourself or to others, no matter what you've turned into your own particular idol, that father who loves you is always saying, I am faithful to you. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. This is the, this is the father who, who, who says, you know, I've got, I've got 99 sheep. That's pretty good. Got one that went astray. You know what? I'm going to go after the one. I'll leave the rest behind to seek out that one. And you go, that's crazy. That's not normal behavior. That's not, that's not reasonable, rational. That's, that's not a, a good business plan to kind of jeopardize the 99 for the one. But that is the God who loves you so much that God would do that. This is a God that is like the person who has lost a coin somewhere. I've lost a penny in my house age. I'm going to turn the house upside down. I'm going to destroy all of Susan's organizing <laughs> to find that penny. And when I find it, I'm going to run around my neighborhood going, I found the penny! I found the penny, Keith! Come, let's celebrate and spend thousands of dollars because I found the penny. You know, that makes no sense that it's so wasteful and out of proportion. But this is the God who Jesus knows. This is his Father who is faithful to you and wants to love you. And after he teaches them this very short version of what we call the Lord's Prayer, then he tries to explain to us what he has just said. He's a good teacher. Now I'll give you the explanation. If you didn't catch what I was saying in, in this very kind of direct, okay, here's your dad, ask what you want. I'm going to tell you what that means. That means whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever the time of day is, just ask. He tells a strange story of there's a, there's a person who has guests that come at midnight, and there's no bread in the house. Oh my gosh, we have no Cheetos and beer. And Keith has shown up. <laughs> I use Wally at the at 8 o'clock service. Somebody shows up and we have no brisket. <laughs> yeah, I got nothing to serve them, so I'm going to go to my neighbor. Hey, neighbor, hook me up with some Cheetos and beer. Keith is here. And that neighbor says, no, nope, can't help you out. 
in Elgap. Now, I know our text tells us this morning that because of its persistence, but actually the word means shamelessness. Shamelessness. Because of his shamelessness, his neighbor responds. Shameless. You know, if you're dead, you got nothing to be ashamed of, do you? If you're dead. What does God require of us? <clears throat> to be dead. That cryptic thing about dying to self, if you lose your life, you'll find it? Yeah, being dead. Being dead is actually a good thing. Dying to self? Dying to your reputation. Not caring anymore about what your friends or family think about you because the only thing you care about is the love of God. Shamelessness. That's the person that knows they need something. They don't care what time of day it is. They don't care what anybody else is going to think about. They're going to say, Father, bless me. Father, provide for me. Father, forgive me as I try sometimes, right, to be honest, to forgive others. Because if we are dead, if we are dead, there is none of that shame that keeps us from approaching God. There's no more pious acts on our part. There's no more I'm worthy or not worthy. There's no more beating your chest and, and sort of delaying the actual coming to God and saying, forgive me, help me in my time of need. Whether that's at midnight, three in the morning, or 11.25 in the morning. This is the God who loves you. And if you are dead, you are dead in Christ. And if you're dead in Christ, you're raised with Christ, and thanks be to God, that Father of ours is our Abba as well. Amen. Amen.